Hi everyone, welcome to episode 101 of Reality TV and Me. I'm your host Kirsty and I'm so happy to be back. Oh my goodness, what a ride it has been, I will tell you all. But first of all, I want to say I'm so sad I missed episode 100. I was really counting down to it, looking forward to it. It's been, in February, it will be two years since I started the show, Can You Believe? And it's come such a long way since those early days where I was just traveling around the UK, recording into my phone. Uh, I originally started because it was a nice way to connect me with people that were interested in reality TV and other trash dwellers such as I that just love talking about these psycho bitches in The Housewives. And look, it's devolved from there um, into what you know and hopefully love today. I am so grateful for everything that's um, changed and grown and to be part of Taste of Reality now, the network of, of other amazing podcasters with people like Pink Shade, Elisa Rosen from Reality of Reality, a whole host of other wonderfully talented podcasters um, and women. So that's been, you know, a huge transition for me in the last, I was going to say this year, in the year that was, the year that we shall not speak its name. But as some of you know, 2020 wasn't so bad for me as I live the life of a hermit. I um, record in my boudoir. I write from my bed. Basically, I just live within the four walls of my bedroom and that suits me just fine. So lockdown 2020 hasn't been too awful for me. I know a lot of you have had it really tough, especially those in the States and the UK. Australia has been incredibly lucky with our COVID journey. Um, but did I get a slap in the face? Welcome to 2021. And you know what? I think I brought it on myself because after I had like a pretty tough decade, I'm going to say from about my 21st birthday to the, yeah, 31. So last year was, was good. I enjoyed 2020 and I went around cocky as all fuck saying this is the best year of my life. Well... Did I get smited for my arrogance? Smite? Smote? Smoted? Whatever the word. <laughs> I was smote. <laughs> God looked down upon me and said, Bitch, you gotta shut your damn mouth about how much you're enjoying 2020 because the people are suffering. And shut my mouth, I have. I've been forced to for about three weeks, two or three weeks, because I ended up in hospital. If you're in the Facebook group, you know parts of the story. Uh, Facebook.com slash groups slash reality TV and me. Come join us. It's a lot of fun. It's a still a pretty small group, so it's nice. Everybody's lovely in there. If they're not, they get the stern word from me. But as it stands, 
I'm the only one who's been pulled up on language warnings in my own group. <laughs> this week I tried to call um, Army Hammer a think it was a cunt bucket or a cunt bag one of the bags or buckets and um yeah I got a warning from my own page that I was being a filthy bitch really and not to use such language so look I've gotten a slap on the wrist I think anything up from there anything up from cunt bucket and you'll be okay (laughs) come on in (laughs) So I'm going to give you the rundown of what's been happening in my world. If you are not in the Facebook group, you probably will have noticed that the podcast, uh, I didn't do a podcast last week and the week before my brother very kindly stepped in and put together a clip show for me um, of past dating disasters do uh, a a segment on his show uh, insane ramblings called the Kirsty experiment from my single days um and look it got depressing (laughs) so we called it quits but basically it was just my disastrous dating life uh recorded for your benefit and um After a while, you know, after only having shitty date upon shitty date, I decided to take a breather from dating. But if you want to relive my horrible dating experiences, um, just a handful of them, go back to episode 100. And thank you very much to my brother Ben for stepping in. He seemed to have a bit of fun with it. I really just expected him to put the clips together, maybe add the music at the start and the end, and then send it on its way. But no, he stepped up to the plate, as it were, and threw me under the bus. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, look, he talked about reality TV. He's a Bachelor fan. He talked out of his ass for a lot of the time. And look, I found it funny. He made me laugh. He made me cringe. He made me worry for the future of my show. But I'm very grateful that he stepped up to the plate. So if you haven't had a listen, just go back to episode 100. I can't believe it was my 100 centurion show that I missed but Ben did a great job and I'm very grateful so thanks bro so why the fuck was I in hospital for 10 days count them a long ass time I mean it was so long even when I was in hospital for my spinal surgery a full spinal resection I was only in for two weeks so what the shit went down Two days into the new year, whence I was smote, I was struck down with abdominal pain. Um, Just my whole abdomen. It wasn't specific. It was the whole thing. Went over to mum's just for a visit and I just kind of curled up on the couch in the fetal position. I'll try not to drag this out too long. I'll skip ahead a few bits. But basically, we concluded that I must be constipated. Because of Christmas and New Year and eating things that I don't usually eat. And look, that was as good a reason as any for the pain I was feeling. Started to get worse. I wondered if it's endometriosis or something else going on in there. After 
36 hours of literally groaning in pain. I couldn't even go home. I stayed at mum's because I was too in too much agony to drive home. So I brought in one cat. I brought one cat with me, but Tom was still at home in my apartment at home and I felt so awful leaving him there, abandoning him. He had food and water and the whole shabizzle, but he didn't have company. And you guys know how addicted I am to my cats. I was really worried about him, but I just couldn't drive. So the next day when I was still in agony, I um, asked mum to call an ambulance because the pain was getting worse. It wasn't getting better. And she's like, oh, I'll just drive you, you know, and kind of annoyed at me because, look, I have done this before. I have writhed in pain for a day, 24 hours on end. And and eventually I made her take me to the GP. I had been requesting an ambulance but was denied. Um, <laughs> imagine denying your dying daughter an ambulance. Look. I've got a lot to talk through in therapy um, when my therapist is back from holidays. But for now, I'm just going to sit on that. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, help me. So that time, which was at the start of last year, uh, it as soon as I got to the GP, they called an ambulance and I felt very validated um, because they thought I might be having a heart attack. I was just so weak and it was just horrendous. Uh, that indigestion feeling, not a heart attack, but that's when I had the peptic ulcer. And I swore to myself after that time that any time I felt like I would need, I felt sick enough to need an ambulance, which, I mean, I'm a hypochondriac, but but for good reason, I've been a very sickly girl for most of my life. And I, you know, I wasn't, I'm, I, I have a very low pain threshold, but I can also tell what my body recognizes and what it doesn't, what feels like something is seriously wrong. This was more than just me typically being full of shit, which you guys know me, I am quite full of shit a lot of the time. (laughs) Anyway, I swore to myself, if I ever feel like I need an ambulance, fuck it, I'm calling one. Didn't expect it to happen so soon. But I was saying to mum, please call an ambulance. And she's like, I'll take you because we don't live far from the hospital. Anyway, I try to stand up to get to her car. And I can't stand. And I'm screaming at this stage in pain, like sweating, uh, cold sweats. I'm shivering. I'm, I'm, uh, have a fever. It was, I was like screaming bloody murder in pain. And by that stage, as I tried to stand up, that's when all the pain that had been sort of all around my abdomen, all around my back, down my legs, um, all just went to this one area to the right side of my groin. And that's when I was like, fuck my life. This is agony. At that stage, I was sure, you know, my appendix had burst or something. So I start Googling or telling mum to Google and she's like, oh, you don't have appendicitis. You just need a good poo. (laughs) Oh my God. If she listened to this, she would die. She's a lovely mum and very caring, but, um, 
I guess when you have a child that's been seriously sick for a decade, you just, it's, it's hard to know. I don't know, whatever. Um, I, I even doubt myself, you know, I'm like, oh, maybe it's not that bad. Oh, I can't walk. So at that stage, mum takes a step back and starts to think maybe something is serious here. We call the Ambos. They uh, have to give me that green whistle of bliss in order to, to get me to be able to stand and walk in, walk out the door to the the stretcher and the ambulance. Um, they're wondering what's going on. They think it might be something to do with my ovaries. They're not sure. I'm crying and screaming in pain. Give me the fucking morphine. And another layer to this, of course, is that. I have a history of opiate addiction. So despite my 48 hours now of, of agonizing pain, there is this kind of debate going on about whether or not I should take the painkillers because, you know, is that going to ignite some kind of uh, addiction again in me? Anyway, I decided that I needed them because this was just all too much. When I got to the hospital, they started to give me some um, painkillers and they didn't scratch the surface. At this stage, there's conversation about uh, my appendix, maybe something's wrong there. And then after a couple of hours of being in the hospital emergency room, there is this, and I'm, and I'm, in there, you know, surrounded by patients, really quite aggressively screaming and groaning. And I'm not talking like, uh, it sounded like I was fucking giving birth. I was like, Ugh! like I was in agony. And then I let out th this pain that comes upon me like nothing I have ever felt. You know how they ask you on a scale of one to 10, one is no pain at all. 10 is the worst pain you've ever felt. This, I had been working within a realm that I had figured, you know, my one to 10, I knew what that, what that felt like. 10 was excruciating. Okay. Of course this took my pain to another level. I was at a fucking 15. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Nurse, nurses ran to me. I was like, like it was fucking hell on earth. I was absolute, like nothing could calm. I was like something was trying to break free of my body. And they gave me an instant shot of morphine, did nothing, gave me another one. And I sort of felt like back to the level that I was when I called the ambulance. So still fucking horrific, but at least I wasn't screaming. It was so bad. And at that moment I was like, well, if it is my appendix, it's burst. Like that's, that, that's another level of pain. It's burst. It's in there rolling around, splashing, causing up a fuss. It was just, I can't even explain it. It was just horrific. Meanwhile, I'm still, you know, sweating, fevering, groaning. I can hear the person next to me complaining and, um, then somebody say, reply to him, oh, well, at least you're not in pain. I'm like, oh, I wish I wasn't in pain. I spent about four hours 
at least in emergency before I was able to um, go into a ward. Finally, they take me into a ward and they say a scan's come back and it looks like maybe the beginning stages of appendicitis, but it doesn't really look like a big deal. They schedule me for surgery the next day. I go in and I come out and I can hear the doctors talking even though I'm in that like drugged out stage and uh, I hear the word sepsis whispered and um, I guess I think doctors really believe that you don't remember what like anything when you come out of an operation because you're so drugged up. Let me tell you, I had a... I know that I'm the exception. Like I have had an exceptional amount of surgeries. So maybe I just, maybe I do remember more. Maybe I'm less sensitive. Um, But last year alone, well, this, this operation included, I had, I went under general anesthetic three times. Like it's not good. There's a lot going on in my body, right? Um, So I remember everything, (laughs) I remember this shit. Don't be whispering fucking sepsis when I'm coming out of a fucking coma, man. Like, it's freaky shit. Ah! And then I guess when I'm a little bit more alert, um, they tell me it was appendicitis. And in fact, my appendix, this is going to get pretty gross. So if you're sensitive, maybe skip ahead. My appendix was gangrenous. Gangrenous is a word that I had before two weeks ago, I had never heard used in conjunction with my body. Um, And now I have heard used hundreds of times in relation to my beautiful body. So I have a gangrenous appendix. They removed it. They washed me all out, got rid of that disgusting infection They tell me that the sepsis or the infection had now wrapped around my ovary and that's why I had been pointing to the ovary in the ambulance and also around my small intestine. So no wonder basically I was in a fuck ton of pain. No idea why that showed up as low-grade possible appendicitis on the scan, but there you go. Um, I felt, of course, very validated when I told my mother that I had this disgusting appendix. So they take me up to the ward and it's my chance to recover. Usually they, they tell me, usually, usually with appendicitis, you are in and out within a day and a half. I was in hospital for 10 days. 10 fucking days and in so much pain. Like, it was like the pain never stopped. It still felt like I had appendicitis for at least the first three, four days. They had to call in this pain team to work with me because I just wasn't coping. I was crying. I was screaming. I was telling all the nurses that this was inhumane and I wanted to die. It was hell. It was like, it was truly hell. Um, I know that I, like, they all thought I was being dramatic. I know I sound dramatic But I think because I've had so many surgeries and so much painkiller use, both needed and not necessary, 
Um, plus I have fibromyalgia, which makes all of your nerves hypersensitive to trauma, real or imagined. Um, my pain was just like tenfold what they expected and they just really didn't I think there was a lot of people not believing me um and I also think that they just didn't really know what to do with me because I wasn't responding to any of the medication so that really fucking sucked for about three four days and then when they got the pain team in I was much more managed and I finally felt like I could heal and sleep and rest. So that was a massive relief. Praise baby Cohen. So after, yeah, the nine, 10 days that I spent in hospital, they moved me for one night to a repat hospital, mostly because they needed the bed, I'm sure. And then another doctor comes in that I hadn't seen before and he's reviewing my chart and he comes over and he's like, you know, just having a chat to me about my, um, what they're going to send me home with medication wise, how to take care of my wounds, etc. And he's like, yeah, the reason you were in so much pain, aside from you having this really manky, they use the word manky a lot, manky, messy. Uh, there was something really bad at one stage that like, it wasn't grotesque. <laughs> But it was along those lines in reference to my appendix. And then he let slip. Um, so the other reason you were in so much pain is because, you know, they nicked your bowel during the surgery. Um, sorry, what did you say? I just blinked at this man like, what the actual fuck did you just say to me? And why are you the first person to tell me this? So apparently, yeah, because my appendix was so grotesque and mucky and they couldn't really see what they were doing, I don't know, a little bit of my bowel was nicked, was cut during the surgery. I mean, I'm not talking like a little scratch, little surface level kind of, you know, something you can just put a little dab of betadine on and move on. They had to stitch it back up again. So all of a sudden I have this extra wound Um Oh man, it was a bloody nightmare. I was furious because why is this guy the first person to tell me that? It felt like everyone was hiding this from me. It felt like, you know, the whole process of them not believing my pain and putting it back on me, like it's my fault for having fibro. It's my fault that I've been so sick in my life that uh, my pain is uncontrollable, which is truly how it felt a lot of the time. Um... You know, generally I've had good experience in Aussie hospitals. This one was not great. And to then to have this level of lying and betrayal on top of it felt fucking shit. Anyway, all that to say, I'm so happy to be home. I am so happy to be back, healthy enough to record, to be uh, healing still. I've still got a little bit of tenderness. It's no big deal. Um, I'm going to be fine. The infection's gone. The sepsis is cleared. Oh, so that's the other fucking thing. Yeah, I had sepsis. You can fucking die from that shit. <sighs> so look, it's been a whirlwind. Um, I've already almost died at the start of 2021. I thought I'd get a couple weeks in before that would occur. But you know what? 
hopefully I've got it out of the way for the rest of the year. I hope that wasn't too gross for you. Um, I just thought I would give you the spiel of what went down because it was epic proportions. <sighs> it's so nice to be home with my little kitty cats and... Look, I've been binging the shows because I wasn't even well. Can you imagine this? I wasn't even well enough to concentrate on my programs, on my programs. So I've been binging all of them, watching like three episodes of OC in a row, four or three or four of Atlanta. I think I watched like five Salt Lake Cities because I've been putting it off before I even went into hospital. <laughs> So, look, this is going to be a little bit of a confused pod, I think, just because I'm still getting back on track with the with the shows. I'll try and touch base on all of them. I'll try, I think, probably to engage with the most recent episodes rather than going back the, you know, two, three, four that I had to catch up on and mostly just do a little bit of Housewives gossip, uh, what's news and noteworthy rather than do full recaps. I mean, that's what I have been doing recently anyway, so it won't be too much out of our comfort zone. But yeah, what a whirlwind. So let's get into a little bit of Atlanta. Let's change the pace. I am loving this season of Atlanta. It's not always my favorite, but whatever has happened with the connections of the women, maybe it's part, I don't know, whatever's changed, the energy, I really like. Still bored with the new girl, Drew, um, and Latoya, or Toya, she's a bit much as it stands, but maybe she'll ease into things. This latest episode, I just loved watching Candy's charity work. Um, I thought that was really fun way to bring the ladies together. Kenya's shade at Portia the whole time. What is Kenya's problem with freaking Portia? <laughs> I mean, this whole Kenya against, it's not even Kenya versus Portia because Portia don't give a shit. This whole Kenya against Portia's charity work because she thinks it's only for clout is a very strange angle and just a weird opinion because you're a black woman. You sh whether or not she's also gaining a photo op out of it um, doesn't really, shouldn't matter because anybody that's speaking out for Black Lives Matter is helping, directly helping you. I just find it really odd. It's jealousy and it's just unreasonable. And look, we see it with Bronwyn in OC and we will get to her. Do not you worry. But we see it with her with the photo ops as well. Look, maybe that is part of it for Portia. But at the end of the day, if you're a celebrity and you're promoting or talking about this Black Lives Matter movement it's good to get it on a wider scale. It's good to get a photo opportunity out of it because more eyes are on you. I just think it's crazy. So, you know what? I think Kenya should get out there with them and I was happy to see her at Candy's charity event actually doing some hard yards. I loved what Candy 
had organized this drive through grocery pickup thing. I think that's a really great way to support people through the pandemic who are struggling. So look, candy bores the living fuck out of me. I am not a candy stan. I've never been a fan. She just is too normal for the show. She bores me. But that's not to say... You know, sometimes we do need a balanced housewife. She's obviously been here a long time, so she must add something to the show. (laughs) But me, she's like, I know I'm going to get hate for this. She's like the teddy of the group. She just doesn't bring any drama for me, and it's Yawnsville. But I do appreciate that she's a very hardworking woman. She's got all of these incredible businesses. She's very successful, blah 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 I'm not even, like, into Riley. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that? Is she an adult yet? <laughs> like, the whole Riley flashback stuff. I don't know. I just, just like, okay, next. I don't care. Off you go to college, have fun. The best part of that whole scene was Ace um, getting all upset, wanting to go with her, and his, and his, in his confessional, wearing his, like, little suit and tie and little shirt. He looked fucking adorable. But other than that, I could give a fuck. Similarly to Cynthia's daughter, Noelle, being an influencer. Good for you, girl. I mean, wasn't it just a season or two ago where she was leaving for college and she was literally crying and fetal in the corner because she didn't want to leave her mum. And now she's like, I don't know if I can come home for a week because I have so many contracts. Look, Noelle is beautiful, but again, I'm just bored, 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 bored. You've got a boring mother and you're a boring girl. Oh my God, I'm such a cunt. Welcome back. (laughs) It's good to be back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not feeling Cynthia at all. Not that I ever really have, but just especially this season, watching her selfishness with this wedding. I mean, it was said at the time, the 10, 10, 20 weddings of both her and Kelly Dodd at the same time. Sorry, Kelly Leventhal. Kelly, the outspoken uh, anti-masker, all this business... She actually ended up having a much more COVID safer wedding than Cynthia. And I mean, it's just, I'm just really not enjoying watching her sort of whine and whinge and moan about it all. Like, it's just tired. I did find that scene with her mother talking about how she felt so uncomfortable about, the, about Kenya's PSA, about domestic violence. That was really interesting because... We'd never heard, like that was years ago, we'd never heard that there was any issue to do with that and that Cynthia had now fractured her relationship with her father and all of this had gone on below the surface that we'd never spoken about. So that was definitely interesting. I mean, I'm torn about that because you do want your dad at your wedding, don't you? Even if it makes your mother uncomfortable, but... Well, look, we shall see. The other thing I'm just loving about Atlanta is all of these flashbacks of the women when they first came on the show and 
Cynthia and Portia and Kenya are all these stick figure figures of women, these tiny wisps of women. And now with time and babies and COVID, you know, we have these scenes of uh, Portia talking to <laughs> Cynthia about how somebody touches her ham, she's going to go ham. <laughs> Like, I love it so much. And I'm so jelly because they have put on this weight and it looks good. They look even better. I wish I held weight like that. For me, I'm just like all stomach all the time and jowls. I don't even have to be fat to have jowls. <laughs> it's like I just like eat a cupcake and suddenly I have 17 chins. It's not cute, you guys. But I love watching these women eat. I love their bodies. I think they're sexy and basically hashtag body goals. Over in Dallas, we're only a couple of episodes in, but I'm really enjoying it so far. I'm still loving Tiffany Moon, our new gal. I enjoyed and clapped and bow down to the way that she educated Brandy on her racism. That video was just so fucking cringe to relive. It was disgusting and it was 1000% racist and she did need to be educated. It's a shame that Tiffany had to be the one to do the educating and that she couldn't just research for herself or, you know, learn in primary school like the rest of us do that it's extremely rude and extremely wrong to do that I thought we all knew that by now but then when I was living in Italy kids still did that horrible eye thing as well it's fucking racist don't do it I mean I'm I'm talking as if I'm talking to four-year-olds here you guys already know how disgusting it is but it really even just watching that scene again I'm glad they put it on the show just to show how ugly and awful it was. Do I think she's remorseful? Yes, of course. Like she said, she was contemplating suicide. I believe that. She looks mortified. Um, I'm shocked they brought her back after everything with Leanne, after firing half the cast of Vanderpump Rules because of racist tweets that were found from a decade ago. Uh, it really, she must bring, they must think she brings a lot to the show. Um, I think it was useful they kept her on so that we could witness this conversation with Tiffany. I hope that it can also serve to educate some more ignorant viewers as well that might just think it's harmless and funny um, because these things really do matter and it's not like doing or saying something racist once is going to break a person. It's not good. It's horrible. But the point is that if you are different, different looking, different able-bodied, whatever it may be, you get critiqued in these little ways day in, day out for your life. And eventually that fucking starts to sting. So I can only talk, I'm a, I'm a white, straight woman, so I have limited capacity here um, to be helpful, but even just from my own experience of being teased for my appearance when I was younger, 
it wasn't like one person calling me fat or, you know, making kind of gestures or talking behind my back, whispering about my body or my hair or whatever else it was. It's not like one comment is going to destroy me, but it was that it was every single day there was something, there was a look, there was a whisper, there was a giggle, there was a a comment, there was a fatty boom boom gesture, there was something every single day. And over the course of my entire school life, literally I remember thinking for the first time I must be fat when I was four years old. So that doesn't come from nowhere. That didn't come from my parents or my home life. Where did that come from? Who the fuck knows? But probably from another student or magazines or whatever the fuck else. Those comments all the way through, sorry, to year 12, those comments over that 12-year period erode part of you and change you and they hurt. So I can't speak from experience, but I wonder if racism feels a similar way. I I don't know, um, but I wouldn't be surprised because it's not just one little thing. It's seeing things like Brandy's video or hearing Leanne's Mexican, big Mexican woman remarks and uh, constantly You know, there's no, you don't get breathing space from it. Every time you leave the house, you're risking um, that kind of attack. So, yeah, I mean, it's tough. And I'm really glad we got to see Brandy be educated on the show. And, yeah, like I said, I hope it it, um, cures some people's ignorance as well that maybe didn't think this was a big deal. I did find it odd, and I would like your opinion on this too, when in um, Carrie's confessional, she explained why she thought it was Brandy's racism was different to Leanne's racism against her being Mexican. I don't think it's that different slash at all. Yes, Brandy did show more remorse publicly, but... um, I mean, is that all it takes? I mean, I think obviously learning and growing is incredibly important and showing that you are open to listening and learning. But yeah, I mean, I just thought, well, it's not different. It's not at all. And it is a double standard that Leanne was fired and Brandy wasn't. (sighs) Anyway, we'll see how we go. A lot of people... Um, are standing Tiffany. I am one of them. I'm really enjoying her so far. Did she show off her closet like a mad woman? Yes. Which housewife hasn't? Okay. Any housewife with a walk-in wardrobe that is another room in the house has displayed it to us. And I actually love these scenes. A lot of people think it's kind of tacky. That's why I watch this show. It's aspirational. It's like, oh, look at all those beautiful Chanel bags that I could never in my life. They are just gorgeous. I love the shoes. I love all of that stuff. And she seems to have real money. She got that anaesthetist fucking money. Oh, man. I mean, sorry, I'm like in the midst of an anaesthetist flashback right now. 
I made like a weird comment right before I went into surgery to the anaesthetist and I was very afraid that I might die. So I told, like, literally, I was like, fuck, why did I say... Because he was, he was asking me the same questions, like, distracting questions, you know? Like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I didn't want to be like, eh, like, podcast, I didn't want to get into anything. I was just like, they did the surgery at 9 o'clock at night. I've been waiting all day. I was in fucking pain. Don't ask me about my cats. Like, go away. But don't go away. I'll parade on me. And, um... So the guy that had wheeled me in, another doctor, had asked me all the same questions. So when the anaesthetist asked me, I was like, oh, it's okay. You don't have to distract me. And I think it came off really rude. (laughs) And um, so then the anaesthetist left the room to go into the operating theatre before I joined him. And I was just like grabbed the other doctor. I'm like, please don't let him let me die because I was a wanker just now (laughs) oh god anyway I've lived to tell the tale a little bit rough and scathed but here we are those fucking anaesthetists they make so much money if anyone knows a single anaesthetist um that lives in Australia hook a girl up All right, so before I get into OC, the drama that was and the woman that is Bronwyn Windenberg, tisk, tisk, and another tisk, I um, am just going to break the fourth wall here for a mo as, look, we love it when they do it on The Housewives. We saw in Salt Lake City this past week that... The crew, when they panned out from those godforsaken baths that have not been cleaned in the last century, that the women were uh, bathing in, screaming at each other in, and Jen Shah was having another one of her hissy fits. When she splashed the camera, we saw just how many crew members there are and just how close they get. I love that shit. But I'm going to break down my fourth wall for you for a second here and just tell you how I go about the pod. Generally speaking, I record the whole podcast in one go um, and edit it together and put it all together within a day or two. But this past week has been the week from motherfucking hell. You've heard all about the appendicitis. I'm not going to go back on that. That's been a rager in itself. And then, so I recorded half, the first half of the pod up until this little rant I'm giving you now, um, a few days ago, because I haven't been feeling 100%. I'm still quite weak and sore. So I thought I'll give myself half an hour, record half and half. Easy. Happy days. And then I was going to come back the next day and record the second half. But did life want that to happen for me? Did I once again get smited or smote? Yeah, of course. Because in the way of the Kirsty verse, it's never just one shit hitting the fan at a time. It's always multiple shits that must hit thy fan. So shit doth rain down upon me. Um... My cat went missing. My beloved, dusty boy, toothless wonder, 
first foster card I ever had, love of my life, my son, like just the be all and end all of cats. He gave me, when I came home from hospital, he gave me a freaking greeting like none other. The other foster I have just looked at me, was like, cool, I'll get some more food now because this one's the nice one. Grandma's a bitch. And wadded off. Um, in fact, he hid under the bed for the rest of the day because he just, I guess he forgot who I was. But Dusty jumped into my arms. I swear to you, it was like one of those videos of a soldier coming home from war and their dog greets them and is just licking their faces, jumping all over them. I've never seen anything like it. Mum and I were just like crying tears of joy because this little cat was just nuzzling me, was snuggling me. He could not get enough of me. And then he fucks off for two days. And I have been distraught. I have been an absolute mess. Not only am I in pain, so walking over the streets, calling him, calling out his name has been tough on my body as it's still healing. I'm like having every site, every Facebook group that's like lost cats, all this shit is like, you have to get down on your knees and look under houses and look in nooks and crannies. And I'm not supposed to lift anything over five kilos. I'm like lugging things out of the way to try and find my little boy getting on my hands and knees, getting down on my belly, uh, where my scars are to look for him. Nothing. I was a mess. I was just in full, like I was comatose for two days, just crying in bed. And then yesterday afternoon, he just wanders on in, like nothing has happened. Little hungry, little thirsty, but generally he's like, what's up? What's the big deal? Why are you all crying and screaming and jumping for joy? So look, that has put a spanner in the works. It was just really heart wrenching and I was terrified. He's a very special cat to me, but he's home. Thank God. Praise Cohen. Praise Bravo. Um, I've taken him to the vet today because now, because I live, it's not really country, but it's not suburby suburbs they have to examine him for snake bites they're worried because he's sort of he's got a because he's just not himself so look the shit is still flying around the room a little I'm not a hundred percent but I'm just so grateful he's home I'm so relieved he's home my neighbors were amazing because I'm in a foster group some people from the foster group came over and helped me look I just, I really felt a community spirit around me. And today a few neighbours have that have caught me as I'm walking by have told me how happy they are because I wrote on the poster, well, I had all, you know, missing cat posters up and I wrote on one of them that he was found. So everyone's been stopping me in the streets. And to be honest, I've never felt more famous, which is fun, but really they're only after the star of the show, my little guy, Dusty. Anyway, so that's been another level of distress. Lord, help us. But in that time, I was able, through my tears, to catch up on Real Housewives of Orange County. I know some people boycotted the season. I'm hoping you slunk back with your tail between your legs and you caught it because it has been one of the best seasons of Real Housewives of OC. 
like in years. It has been so refreshing without Tamara and Vicky. It has been a clean slate. We've been able to get to know Emily and Gina more. The new girl, Elizabeth, is fascinating. She's got a cult backstory. Um, it is all unraveling. Bronwyn's whole universe is a total shit show. She should join my world of fans of shit flying around. It's been great. If you haven't heard, there has been fucking hell. Some real shit has gone down. It's come out at the reunion in the final moments, but it was out on the internet a few earlier in the week. Bronman Windenburg, current lesbian, recovering alcoholic, and coke dealer. I'm sorry, what? This fucking bitch has allegedly offered drugs, offered the good shit to Stella when she was 14. Shannon's daughter, Stella, offered her her coke dealer's number. Okay. I'm just going to give you a moment to process that. Can you fuck? If I... I'm not a mother. I have felines. And if anybody offered my cat, I don't know, what are cats allergic to? Chocolate? Anything he couldn't have, any kind of drug or some kind of something that could ruin his fucking life, I would stab a bitch so hard in the eye with a rusty fork. She would not see it coming until it was literally inside of her eye hole. That is some fucked up shit. This bitch, like, I don't give a fuck if you were drunk as a skunk off your skull, which is what she's claiming, that she was so drunk she doesn't remember it. But her friend has confirmed that she did say it, a friend that was there. Even if she said it in jest, which I think is what she's claiming, tongue-in-cheek, joking, sarcastic, whatever, I don't give a fuck. That's a 14-year-old kid. Like, are you you a mental patient? I mean... Speaking as one, yes, she absolutely is. I think she has borderline personality disorder and narcissism coming out of her ass hole. But far out, this woman needs so much help. She is a dry drunk, a dry drug addict. There's been speculation today on uh, what account was it that I was looking at? Um, it was another Instagram account, and oh, I'm sorry, it slipped my mind, but I agree with the sentiment that, <clears throat> excuse me. Perhaps she, because she makes mention in the reunion that she's not just an alcoholic, she's an addict. And then she goes on to list your shopping and fame and other things like this. But really, I think what she's not saying speaks volumes in that she was probably a drug addict. She's probably a coke addict. I mean, how do you have 73 children and a husband you're not attracted to? and be a closet lesbian and have a mum like that and not be uh, a coke addict? Like, how does she even get out of bed in the day to look after those children? I mean, it, to me, I'm like, fucking hell. Like, would it doesn't surprise me at all. It wouldn't surprise me if that was the case. Um, I wouldn't have thought coke necessarily. I would have picked her more for like a prescription drug addiction kind of housewifey vibe. 
just uh, leveling out with the booze of an evening, but it would make more sense because I don't think you can hide drunk as well as you can hide. Speaking from personal experience, I think oh, this is going to be a, a big statement and it probably isn't even true, but in my experience, it's easier to hide a drug addiction than alcohol alcoholism just in terms of how it affects your body like you can't hide slurring you can't hide falling over you can't hide uh, the smell of alcohol in your breath all of these things if you're an alcoholic I mean waking up at seven o'clock in the morning like she claims alcoholic you're gonna have signs throughout the day if you are like a low level constant drug user all day I don't think it presents as overtly. And also because there's less people that, you know, use drugs, um, they, especially on a daily basis, they wouldn't necessarily recognise manic behaviour. Like she is, she, like, especially last season, she was very manic and that could easily be chalked up to having cocaine in her system. If not, it's mania and that's a mental illness, but they kind of have, they kind of act on similar pathways in the brain. So anyway, this is all alleged. I'm not making any claims. Obviously, I don't know Bronwyn, but I thought it was an interesting uh, concept to consider. Aside from that, there was a lot of Andy really drilling into Kelly about her comments about COVID. Um, Her comment made particularly about thinning the herd. Um, Is it a potential way to thin the herd as it's coming for older people, which now we, of course, we know isn't the case as it can really seriously affect uh, people of any age. And look, I, people have been screaming for Kelly to be cancelled all season, even before the season started. Um, I think she's quite outspoken on Twitter. I actually, I follow her on Twitter, but she never pops up for me. So I miss a lot of her comments that people have um, said are racist or really uh, anti-masking or, you know, against um, COVID and blah, blah, blah. But I actually think it's worth having her on the show because there will be so many people that think like she has that... um, you know, the, is it worth it when for businesses are going under? Do masks really help? Um, she made this fucking stupid comment like, do your pants protect you from a fart? <laughs> and I did I die laughing? Yes. Did it also make me think? I mean, I'd be lying if I said no. But we do know masks work, so... I'm not sure what the logic is there. I don't know how much protection we need from a fart. Um, It's not lethal, although some of them can smell lethal. (laughs) Oh, she just, her candidness and her lack of filter just makes me laugh. Even if she's spitting nonsense, the fact that it's her truth, um, she, she cannot lie, even if she desperately wanted to. I appreciate that in a person because you always know where you are with them. Aside from Bron, um, unlike Bronwyn, who 
is speaking out of one side of her mouth and is completely two-faced. You never know where she's coming or going or what is genuine with her, frankly, because she doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know what what's genuine about her and what is a front. Anyway, I think it's important to have Kelly on the show to show different opinions, to show different trains of thought, even if you don't agree with it, because... That's how we understand people that are different to us. You know, that's how we can understand someone's fear and point of view if they are an anti-masker or if they are, you know, trying to against a COVID denier, for example. You know, it's it's you can understand it when you think, okay, well, she's worried because she's seeing her friends fall into poverty. Um, She's questioning whether masks work. A lot of us did question that at the start. We now know they do. She's saying, is it worth it? Basically asking, is it worth it for the the collapse of the economy and the rise in mental illness and domestic violence and suicide? And I think these are questions that a lot of us have had. I certainly have. Um, I know I've I haven't had it too tough. I've been okay being a hermit because I am a hermit and I do a lot of my work from home and I don't need to go out and be social that way. I can connect with people online and feel fulfilled, but a lot of people can't. And it has been a really tough year for people with mental illness. So I just think it's important to be um, able to see both sides of the story and have conversations like that. And Similar to Dallas, um, you know, not kicking Brandy out and keeping her to have those difficult conversations about race. When we kicked out Leanne, we just shut that conversation down. We didn't actually get to teach the audience anything about why her remarks were wrong. So I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I do enjoy Kelly on the show. I just think she's a breath of fresh air and realness in a cast of absolute fake phony clowns. Um, But liking her on the show and agreeing with everything she says are two very different things. (laughs) I just need to add that little caveat here. So that's pretty much it for the episode. I want to make mention of Bling Empire if you're not watching. I really love it. I, I, The cast are nice to each other, which sounds like there wouldn't be much drama. And look, there is a little bit of a lack of drama, like housewife style, arguing, throwing glasses, screaming at each other. But it's kind of, for me, I found it kind of refreshing coming from a season of off the back of Vanderpump rules that I just found so exhausting with how much everybody hated each other and how much I hated the entire cast. I found it like a breath of fresh air to be able to watch nice people and then enjoy this insane luxury and insane level of wealth that they all uh, are exposed to. Um, I think it's worth it. I've only watched the first couple of episodes. I'm hoping to interview a couple of people from the cast. So check it out. It's on Netflix, Bling Empire. Uh, let me know what you think in the Facebook group. And if you're not in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash reality TV and me, come on in. 
Other than that, the Married at First Sight Australia All-Stars reunion that is over the course of two Sunday nights starts next Sunday, the 31st, and then the following, I think it's the 7th of Jan. So that's going to be fun. It's going to be, it's going to go off. It's looks drama, drama, drama. And then it will lead us into season eight, the new series of Married at First Sight Australia. I believe in the US, you're watching Married at First Sight season six um, at the moment on Lifetime. I'm not sure what night, maybe someone can post it in the Facebook group for us or just Google it. It is one of the best seasons of Married at First Sight Australia to date. Lots and lots of drama and it's Lizzie's first season. So anyone who watched her in season seven when I was doing the recaps with Jacques, uh, you saw her second season. So Lizzie, she was married to Seb on the show. So some people have been a little bit confused um, as because I think Lifetime in the US are promoting season six as the new season of Married at First Sight Australia. It's not. We're going into season eight. If you hung out with me for the recaps, that was season seven. And you're going backwards now to season six, which if you listened to the last season uh, I recapped, this is Jacques' all-time favourite series, season six, Married at First Sight AU. He loved it. So, look, I trust him. If you liked season seven, you're going to love season six. So you can pop on over and watch that on Lifetime now. What else is happening? Married at First Sight US, where are they? Atlanta. Uh, that has just started. I know a lot of you are on board and watching that. I'm not going to recap that now because this episode has already gone on quite long enough with my pain and woes, um, but I will be covering it in sort of these mini recaps that I've been doing with Housewives, so breakdowns of the best parts. So I think that is it from me. It has been a big show I really appreciate all your support throughout my um, appendicitis. It was really tough and especially uh, in hospital, but your positivity kept me going. A lot of you have been really giving me some lovely stories about your cats that have come home after being lost. That helped me a lot. Oh, I'm losing my voice now. So I appreciate all of you. I appreciate you listening and I very much appreciate your continued love and support. And I offer mine back. Please, if you haven't left a review or a five-star rating, uh, get on that now because it really helps the show grow and expand and it just makes us feel good as well. It's very nice to see and learn what you appreciate about the show, what you like, what you don't like. It's all good. The Instagram for the show is at Reality TV and Me. The Twitter is at She's Pernicious. It's all going to be in the show notes, so you don't have to worry about remembering all these stupid different names that I can't change because I'm an elder. Um, and look, if you want to, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash Reality TV and Me and buy me a coffee, basically donating the price of a coffee just to say thank you for the show or because you're 
wanting to give a donation, support, show your support for the work that goes in behind the scenes, the equipment that we buy, um, the hosting of the websites, all of that fun stuff. And thank you all so much for listening. Please join the community, the Reality TV and Me community, wherever you can. Lots of love and I'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.